No sooner had I finished the message last Sunday than I began to inquire of God as to what I should be sharing uh, in this week's message. And as I was reading on Wednesday morning, my thoughts were arrested by the closing verse of Psalm 17, where it said, And I, in righteousness, I will see his face. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Psalm 17, verse 15. And I became aware in that moment that God had given me the foundation scripture for today's message. A message, again, that doesn't ignore our present difficulties as a fellowship. Those are Sam's and Mary. But also one that I trust and pray offers hope. Now, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. Can you recall the feeling when you met up with an old friend, a true friend, the type of friend that you can share your heart in unconditional honesty with. The type of friend where you just pick up the conversation where you left off, even though it could be months, it can be years, that friend, where you meet them again and it's like, it's like you only saw them yesterday. Can you, can you imagine a friend like that? Yeah, I hope you can because these types of friends are incredible. Can you recall how you felt when you saw his face or her face. Just let's do a little exercise. Just let's close our eyes for a little minute and imagine. Can you imagine that moment just for a second or two? What do you see? How does it make you feel? That person, picture that person, that friend, the smile, the welcoming look that draws you in, the greeting the inquiry after your health, how you doing? The desire for intimacy that's expressed through what they say and what they do. And sometimes in difficult times of life, it's that hug that expresses the connection you both share in a way that words can't. And there's something about that moment that's right. There is a completeness to it. We feel safe. We feel valued. We feel accepted. Father, we just thank you that we have people in our lives that we can experience these things with. Father, people who are there for us in our darkest hour. Father, people who are there to give us that unconditional love. And Father, we pray that each of us would experience that. Father, through another human being. And Father, for those of us who maybe feel we don't experience that. Lord, I pray that you bring people into our lives that we will experience these things with. Father, people who will just welcome us in. Father, people who will accept us for who we are, but will also challenge us where we fall short. Father, we thank you for friends like that. Father, we thank you for people like that, people in the church as well. Father, people that we know well and have known for years people who come alongside us in our darkest hour. And Father, we thank you for these people. These relationships are priceless, folks. They're not manufactured. They can't be. Friendships are never forced. They simply grow. They grow from tiny little seeds. And just think of what David describes here. In righteousness, I will see your face. David had never heard of Jesus. 
but I'm convinced that that's who he's talking about in this passage. In righteousness, I will see your face. When I awake, and he's speaking here prophetically about the resurrection. He's talking about what was going to come. When I awake, I will be satisfied with seeing your likeness. Think about how you feel with that friend. Imagine the friend that the Bible tells us sticks closer than a brother. The day when we see Jesus face to face, imagine what that's going to be like when he welcomes us in. Spurgeon says about the passage that we read there, to behold God's face and to be changed by that vision into his image is to partake in his righteousness. This is my noble ambition. And in the prospect of this, I cheerfully wave all my present enjoyments. My satisfaction is to come. I do not look for it as yet. I shall sleep a while, but I shall wake at the sound of the trumpet, wake to everlasting joy, because I arise in thy likeness, O my God and my King. He talks about something that's still to happen. And he goes on to say, Glimpses of glory good men have here below to stay their sacred hunger. But the full feast awaits them in the upper skies. Compared with this deep, ineffable, eternal fullness of delight, the joys of the worldling are as a glowworm to the sun or the drop of a bucket to the ocean. Whatever life has to offer in the way of happiness is incomparable to what God has promised to those who love him. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 and 10 says, No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But then it goes on to say this, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. Glimpses of glory. In his first letter, Peter speaks of these glimpses of glory. And he says this, talking about Jesus, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. And it makes me think about all the experiences I've had with God over the years and can't help but think that on that day, the day when I see him face to face, I'll discover that my whole life I've been just eating snacks. Snack food. Snack food compared to sitting down at a banquet table with a place reserved with my name on it. You know when you go to a wedding and the seats are all laid out and you kind of wander around the table and you go, where's my name, where's my name? Yeah. This is where he's sitting. And you're like, next to you. The Bible tells us is that there'll come a time in heaven where we'll sit down at a banqueting table and there'll be a place with our name on it. And I'll be looking to see who I'm sitting next to. Who will be who do you want to be sitting next to? Oh. Uh, who do I know what? That's maybe an easier question to answer. A place with my name on it, filled with the best Michelin star, Eat your heart out food. 
for those of us who like Michelin star food, <laughs> Stephen doesn't have a patch on this. Spiritual food. And I can't help but stirred up with wonder at what lies ahead of us as Christians. Everything will become clear. And it makes me think of the difference between watching that old square black and white TV. We used to have a wee portable. We didn't even have it in the living room in our first house. It was upstairs. Um, all we had in the living room was a lovely new pink carpet, because Mary liked pink in those days. She still does. A pink carpet and a hi-fi. That was all we needed, especially the hi-fi. And I think about those moments watching TV on this little black and white portable television compared to these days watching movies in 4K. If you don't know what 4K is, it's a step on from HD. Right? HD has advanced, but now we've got 4K. And surround sound, wow. I remember the first time I ever heard surround sound, it was a Mitsubishi, and we were watching Blade Runner to test all this equipment, and there was this knock at the door. And I went round to go and open the side door, and I'm like, oh, it was the, it was the surround sound. And you think about all, I keep hearing little messages these days, Bing bong, they're going off all over the place. They're just, the things that we can appreciate just now, great though they are, are a drop in the bucket compared to the ocean, as Spurgeon says. Thomas Watson, in the same passage, says, God is a superlative good. These old guys know how to use English language, don't they? He is better than anything you can put in competition with him. He is better than health, Riches or honour. Other things maintain life. He gives life. And then I've been reflecting in recent months on this verse from Jesus' teaching that we know as the Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5, verse 8, where it says, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. That's an incredible verse. And I think it probably, so far in my thinking, it has two dimensions. There's the dimension in the here and now where the pure in heart see God, not with physical eyes, but with hearts that are surrendered to him. And if we think of our lives as having a translucent quality, see, the young guys know some big words as well. As we get rid of all the distractions that fill us up, there comes an ability to see God. And often we lack that translucent quality, that internal quality due to the the busyness, the distractions of life, and the sin that's in our lives at times. And we miss out on, on God's best for us. You know, if you want to see something, you don't want to be looking through a dirty window, do you? You want to clean the window so you can see clearly out the other side. And if anybody wants to volunteer to clean the church windows... They need cleaned as well. But there's something about a clear window. I love having clear windows, right? These ones here as well. See when your glasses are dirty and you can't see properly and all you can see is just what's right behind there? It's a real distraction. And it can be like our lives. Our lives can be filled up with stuff that stop us from seeing God, that stop us from seeing the breakthroughs, that stop us from seeing those things that we struggle with all the time being broken and their hold over us being broken. And so there's that. I hear another phone. I hear it. Is that you, Daniel, this time? 
Sorry to embarrass you. <laughs> Bing bong, switch them off. Put them in silent mode. You're allowed to have your phone on if you're on call and you're a doctor, okay? Or you're on call for something else. Other than that, please switch them off. But you see, I believe there's a second dimension to this verse in that there will come a time from our perspective in time where we will indeed see God and we will stand before God. And it says that the pure in heart will see God. For the pure in heart, this will be a blessing beyond description. And in that day, in that day, we will be like him. All the things the busyness, the distractions, the sinfulness, all the stuff that holds us back will be left to the side. You know, reading through the book of Job is a challenge. Job had experienced much of what we would think of in life as success. He was blessed beyond measure and then disaster strikes and he suffers loss on a catastrophic scale. And many years ago, as I was reading this book, reading through this story of Job, which is thought to be one of the oldest stories that are actually in the Bible, or the oldest books in the Bible, sorry. And he says this, I know that my Redeemer lives. This is Job 19. I know that my Redeemer lives, and that in the end, he will stand upon the earth. Redeemer has got a capital R. I know that my Redeemer lives. And he's talking about Jesus. He foresees. And after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh, I will see God. I I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. How my heart yearns within me. This is a startling revelation which Job has. He refers the resurrection. He refers to a future time when Jesus will return to the earth. He refers to a time when he will see God, his Redeemer, with his own eyes. And we hear in his words a longing for that day, how my heart yearns within me. This revelation came to Job before any scripture was written. Before churches, and we're not talking about the band, before Hillsong, And even before John Wesley, right? For all the things that are familiar to us, he lived in a time where all of this would have been strange. Everything that we see and take for granted would have been strange. But I sense in Job's words as I read them through that book that he is in awe of a creator, a God above gods, a deity. And C.S. Lewis talks about this. He talks about sensing something spiritual in life that is greater and more awesome, even to the stage of it being frightening. He describes it, and he uses this word, numinous. He talks about a something other. There's a spiritual reality. And we experience that spiritual reality. And as we read accounts in the Bible, right throughout the Bible, we read of people encountering God, encountering angels, and the effect that that has on them. We read of people who encounter these things, and what do they do? They don't go, hey, this is great, a new spiritual experience. 
they, it tells us that they fall flat on their faces because they're in awe of what's happening. The writer of the Hebrews talks about some of these people who experience these things. Sometimes it's referred to as the hall of faith and talks about for he, referring to Abraham, was looking forward to the city. That is the city of God. The city with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Hebrews 11 and 10. He foresaw what we read of in Revelation. He saw beyond Jerusalem and all that has happened there over the years. Spoke about last week how we have the privileged position of being able to look back over all this history. And John saw, uh, sorry, yeah, he, he saw what we read of in, the, in Revelation, a book written by a man called John, who saw this vision as he was in exile on this island. And this is what it says in Revelation 21. And this is what we're talking about. He says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with men, and he will live with them, They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. What an incredible reality that John is describing. He's trying to describe what Jesus has shown him, this incredible revelation of what was going to come. And he's trying to describe it with words as best he can. And I like what he's describing. A place where there's no more tears. A place where there's no more death. A place where there's no more mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. What a hope. What a future. What an incredible promise. And in the book of Hebrews, just to go back to that, the author goes on to say, all these people who had went before, and the ones that he's included so far are Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have the opportunity to return to it. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. These people who existed before only saw these things and welcomed them from a distance things which were promised. They didn't fully understand. They didn't fully appreciate. They didn't fully enter into because it wasn't the time yet. They were longing for a better country, a heavenly country. For he, that is God, has prepared a city for them. This wonderful hope is for those who call themselves the children of God. And listen to this. John 
1 John chapter 3, he says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when he appears, talking about Jesus, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. What we will be, what we will be has not yet been made known, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Incredible verses. And so we put our hope in him. I'm almost finished. You know, I've often said that sometimes I would like to go back to being a child, knowing what I know now. But then the thought occurred to me that if I went back to being a child, knowing what I know now, wouldn't it be the same? I don't think it would be as special. There's something special about being a child. I think I probably like spending time with kids because I'm still a big kid inside in one sense. And there's something about the very essence of childhood that we ought to preserve in our lives as well. And as we look at the children, we think about them. Things like innocence, trust, hope. Jesus talked about receiving him like a little child. And in some of the stuff I've been reading, um, those who don't have any faith would say that what we're talking about is childish. But that's not the case. Because children are curious, questioning, puzzling little people. They keep asking questions like, are we there yet? Are we there yet? But we see in, in kids this innocence, a trust, a hope, a faith, a resilience, a thirst for adventure, for fun, and playfulness. And sometimes as adults, we lose these qualities. I think that God wants us to have these qualities, including the fun and the playfulness. Because he has created us to be like this. He's created us with this incredible ability to laugh. Sometimes it doesn't happen when Robert tells jokes. But that's another story. He's created, with, created us with all of these wonderful things to express how we're feeling towards one another. The ability to have fun together, to have joy in our hearts. Can we, as children of God, lose some of the things that are the very essence of what God wants us to be? This trust, this hopefulness, this obedience. Boys and girls, you need to be obedient to your parents because the Bible tells you to do it, okay? So when mum and dad tells you to do something, you need to do it, okay? Don't say, like some people, okay, I'll do it. And then two or three days later, you've not tidied that room yet, oh, I'll do it. Oops, sorry, Josh. <laughs> Oh, I kidding, pal. Yeah? Josh, can I let you in a secret? Your gran used to tidy my room, right? Because it was so messy, 
and they tidied, and I just never got around to it. And so she would come in and tidy everything out, which is why I've got no stuff left, okay? She just used to chug it all in the bin. <laughs> There's something incredible about this, not childish, but childlike approach to life and to faith. And I think it's in that that we see God, because it says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And I'm going to finish off with last, one last scripture that gives us a glimpse into the future. And it's a passage more widely used to talk about love, but there's so much more to this passage. 1 Corinthians 13 which starts off by saying, love never fails. It's an incredible verse. It goes on to say, but where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. Our knowledge will pass into meaningless nothingness when we see him. It says, for we know in part and we prophesy in part, but when perfection comes, the imperfect disappears. Slight contradiction here, maybe. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put childish ways behind me. And this is the crux of the verse for us today. Now we see but a poor reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. Incredible. People who like to ask questions get answers. To know, even as I am fully known, I'm looking forward to that. And the last book in the Bible, Revelation, in 22, chapter 22, verse 4, we read this, talking about these people who have put their trust in him. They will see his face. For this moment, we can only get a glimpse, just as Moses did when he came down from the mountaintop. And he was radiant with God's presence. Can we, if we have spent time in his presence, come out and radiate the very essence of who God is? I really am almost finished. A lady called Helen Haworth Lemel, an interesting name, wrote a hymn based on a tract called Focused by Lilius Trotter, who was a missionary in Algeria. And if you're not sure of the verses of this hymn, you will definitely recognize the chorus. And this is what it says. O soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness you see. There's light for a look at the Savior and a life more abundant and free. And then it comes to the chorus. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Through death into life everlasting, he passed and we follow him there. O'er us, sin no more hath dominion, for more than conquerors we are. The last verse says this, his word shall not fail you, he promised. Believe him and all will be well. Then go to a world that is dying, his perfect salvation to tell. Let me read the chorus once again. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim 
in the light of his glory and grace. Steve, I wonder if you could come up and we're going to just sing that song. I'll have the music for you. If you don't have a copy. You know, relationships can't be forced. They grow from tiny seeds, just as our relationship with God. For the Christian and our relationship with Jesus, often the tiny seed that was sown in the past was God's Word, of which Jesus is the very embodiment. Perhaps it was a parent, a preacher, a friend or a colleague who shared something that found a resting place in our hearts. And then the person prayed over that seed, seed and in so doing watered it. And so we find ourselves in this relationship with God, knowing that one day we shall see him and we shall know fully, even as we are fully known. We shall see him and we will be satisfied with seeing his likeness. Let us hold on to this hope unswervingly as we await for God and all that he has promised. God has promised in your lifetime if God has promised, it will come to pass. But let's wait patiently for the Lord's return.